I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. The vocabulary of football is a fascinating one. A mishmash of strange words and quaint phrases, stolen and reappropriated from other places and even other centuries. You read these words all over the place, but most of them should never really be said out loud with a straight face. Until now. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Joining me for this alphabetical odyssey through the language of football, first of all, it's, it's Charlie Eccleshare, who I should describe you in, in football terms. You are a 33-year-old London-born football scribe. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm good, yeah. How are you? The keys to my grey. <laughs> I'm not sure which way around that should be, but I feel uh, like you're more keysy than me. Yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. I'll take it. Uh, also, the, the 5 foot 11 inch Welsh debutant Tom Williams is joining us this week, author of Do You Speak Football? Um, this is very much a Spider-Man meets Spider-Man JPEG moment as uh, a bored guy who's written a book about the language of football speaks to another bald guy who's written about the language of football. You're very welcome. We, we should have as many as we can, I think, on this podcast. Absolutely. The more the more baldies, the more baldies, the merrier. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um this is going to be a very straightforward episode, really. We're going from A to Z. And uh, the thing that has always captured my imagination about the language of football is just how many slightly baffling words and phrases football has kind of maintained for itself. And it's kind of stolen from elsewhere. And we're going we to have a nice little tour through all of that. And we'll start with A, because that's where the alphabet begins, obviously. We'll start with Ace, which I think has a lot more connotations than it first suggests. It exists in, in tabloid headlines most of the time, but... To you, what does what does ace suggest? Because the dictionary def- definition of, of ace, Charlie, is someone who's really good at something. But in, in a football context, I think it means something else. Well, ace can be anything, can't it? I mean, you, you see it applied to basically any footballer, often yeah. quite loosely, because it will be like England ace in you know whatever scandal it is. And, and you'll read it and be like, that was a sort of right back who was once capped by England about 12 years ago, which feels a fairly loose uh you know, use of that that term ace. I really enjoyed oh, Adam. I, I think it was you uh, who tweeted uh, a quote, a supposed quote from someone talking about Jack Green, uh, an oh, eyewitness yeah. who'd seen Jack Green. He was like, "The last thing you expect is to see a Premier League ace outside your house." <laughs> <laughs> and as you pointed out, there is the never only in recorded history, example of someone yeah. saying ace out loud. In, no in the one has of humanity. ever said that. Uh, so, I really enjoyed that. Tom, what is the threshold for being an ace? I, maybe it's just one cap for your country. I think it's pretty low um, if you take into account the frequency with which it's used. Um, I think Mm -hmm. the one thing that you could say about ace, and this will will apply to some of the other words we're going to go on and talk about, is that it's a very useful headline word because it's so short. It's basically Mm -hmm. the the shortest word that you can describe (laughs) a well-known footballer. Um, And even though it kind of evokes images of 
you know, World War II fighter pilots. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, I think one of the reasons it endures is for that precise reason, because if you're running out of room in a headline and you've already front-loaded your headline with all the descriptions of the fellow you're writing about, <laughs> A sometimes is the, only, is the only word you've got space for by the time you get to the end. Well, well Tom, 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 yeah, that's a really, I remember a journalism school in a sub-editing class being told <laughs> why these journalese words had taken hold. And ace was one that was used and tot was another one for oh, child. No, no. Again, I can't imagine you being like, oh, I'm looking after the tots tonight. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it's become an acceptable journalese word for, for exactly that reason. It's short and fits into headlines neatly. The word amid, which is used as a kind of... Um, <laughs> conjunctive i suppose in 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 sort of newspaper headlines but it really does get abused because i mean the word amid just seems to me is something that someone is you know embroiled in and and this ongoing this ongoing topic but i'll give you an example headline from a couple of years ago Uh, west ham striker diafra sacco wants future clarified amid sunderland bid can you be amid a bid (laughs) you can't be amid a single thing Uh, this is really important um uh, the word amid is just thrown around Amid does and, a lot uh, of heavy lifting in headlines, for yeah, sure. You, you should be amid an ongoing saga or something like that, but you can't be amid a, a single event. Um, I think we're all agreed on that, right? Sometimes they're just completely unrelated as well. But yeah, <laughs> amid, amid something, you're like, why does that matter? Yeah, when as Charlie says, it is a word that does an awful lot of heavy lifting. And I think it's because it's a very convenient way of combining two things that have got nothing to do with each other <laughs> that you want to mention in the same breath. Yeah. Um, so, you know... A, a club go into a game uh, beneath the cloud of some scandal and something happens, a guy scores the winner or gets sent off. You want to mention that fact, but you also want to reflect the wider context. Um, and to actually explain it would probably take more effort than it's worth. But if you can just use the <laughs> word amid, it's like mm. a sort of, you know, it's an immediate shortcut. It's a complete cop out, um, uh, but I do love I, I love the use of the mid. It's basically, yeah, it's just saying, yeah, here is this other thing that we'd also like to talk about. Um, uh, finishing off a with the word aplomb, which I always use an example as an example of a word that pretty much only appears in football, and not only that, you would never use it out loud in any other context in life. We, we covered it quite extensively in the goals episode um, a few weeks ago, but aplomb is 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 just such a classically footballing word, Tom, isn't it? Yeah, it is a very football word and to an extent that I'm not sure I've ever seen it in any other context. Mm. I'm not even sure how I would use it in any other context <laughs> beyond an assured finish by a striker. Sometimes you do, and as you know, as somebody who writes about football, you do find yourself using these words all the time and you often do it reflexively without even thinking because sometimes you know, you, you witness a goal and a plum just feels like the only word that, that really reflects the nature, the finesse of the finish. Yeah, well, what kind of method are you thinking about when you see a goal scored with a plomb? I'm thinking one-on-one and like mm. a, a clean finish into one of the corners, a sort of textbook striker's finish. You know, you couldn't have connected more cleanly. You couldn't have put it further out of the goalkeeper's reach. You've sort of, you know, you've you've ticked all the boxes that you'd want from a finisher. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what comes to mind for me. It has to be a finish rather than another kind of goal. And I think one where you've kind of got, the striker's got enough time to look up and sort of set himself and then still finish with a plum. So it kind of, you know, there's a, I think it betrays a certain level of confidence and composure to be able to finish with a plum. But it's also Agreed. unshowy, I think. You wouldn't, mm. you wouldn't describe a dinked finish as, no. as being a finish with a plum. It's a striker no, sort of, kind of doing the bare minimum, but doing it very well. Sergio Aguero kind of... 
efficiency of finish. Yeah, exactly. you don't want to go into kind of audacious and impudent territory. That that's the ceiling for a plum, I think, is where it gets a little bit too showy, as Tom says. Um, let's move on to B. Um, I feel like again we're in sort of tabloid headline territory here, but the, the two contrasting types of news you can receive in football, both bad and good, are boosts and blows. Um, both of them are handed to you. Although I also think blows can be suffered. Um, it, it's an interesting kind of dichotomy. You, in football, we reduce things to simply receiving boosts or blows. Um, what kind of news do you think um, lends itself to these two things, Tom? Um, I mean, I think injuries, um, most obviously a boost when a guy's on his way back, a blow when he's going to be out for longer than expected. Um, you get transfer boosts and yeah, blows. That's what and I again, think. it's they're, they're very... Um, punchy very plosive words that can sometimes create a sense of of you know significance even when there isn't significance so you know what you'll often get is i don't know a tabloid transfer story and the sporting director of team x will make a comment about player y that suggests you know team z are not actually going to end up signing him and if you actually look at what he said there's not actually that that much in it but if you repackage it as you know blah 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 handed transfer blow um, it's the sort of thing that people are going to click on much more readily. It's such simple language, but then when you when you when you say it out loud, and especially in this context when we're really kind of analysing it, it just sounds so weird. Like handed a handed an injury boost. It just they're just three random words stuck together, and we're all expected to know what that means. I know it's very simple language, but I feel like you have to be kind of fairly learned in in footballese to actually kind of appreciate it and let it go over your head. Um, similarly, Charlie. Um, in your head, what would you consider to be a bread and butter save? <laughs> I was just going to say as well, you mentioned uh, brace earlier and I, I did actually yeah. look for that. I searched it on WhatsApp to see if it is used in real life. And <laughs> there are a few instances actually of people talking about braces, both Sunday league related and actual just say football a pair related. Or a couple. A double. I mean, a bread and butter finish, you know, you, oh, okay. occasionally you get them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do think of them more related to the goalkeeper. Uh, doing simple things well. Something like David Seaman, I kind of think of a meat and drink, bread and butter kind of cat. <laughs> There's quite a nice Norwegian equivalent of this, um, mm. which is keepermutt, which means keeper food. Um, so <laughs> any sort of floaty cross mm. or, or under hit shot, you describe that as our keeper food, which which I guess is basically bread and butter sort of taken to the next level, if you like, and yeah. sort of like squashed into a, a new... Uh, you know, in, entirely uh, football-centric uh, idiom. And of course, if, if you if you sort of loft a, a sort of weak shot that goes sort of loops over towards the goalkeeper, uh, it goes straight down his throat, which also extends the uh, digestion metaphor even further. Interesting, interesting one. Uh, I want to talk about bust-ups. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I've seen the... Um, the definition of bust up actually debated by football journalists on Twitter in the last few months because I think it, I saw the exact same conversation. <laughs> it's been it's been a, apparently a very important point to make because um, these journalists have claimed that they can describe something as bust up because punches weren't exchanged. It was just a it was just a kind of verbal row. I'm not sure. I feel like mm. bust up is, should be a physical thing and it should only take place on the training ground or in a tunnel. Or in a dressing room, because that's the only place bust-ups can happen. <laughs> I think the danger with bust-up is that it's very close, perilously close even, to dust-up, which, which oh. is clearly a physical confrontation. Definitely. You see bust-up and you imagine, you know, at the very least a bit of argy-bargy, uh, if not actual punches. Um, mm. But 
yeah, if you look at what, you know, the way that bust up is typically used in football journalism, it generally just means any sort of disagreement um, between, you know, manager and player or two teammates or whatever. Uh, and, and as ever, yeah. a word that often does a lot of heavy lifting. And when you actually get down <laughs> to the details of the story, you find that there's often, you know, not all that much to it. Uh, move on to C now. What is the only scenario, Charlie, in which clamouring can happen in football? Oh, God, my mind's gone blank. Uh, a new signing? No. Clamour for a I, new signing? No, my, my, I put it to you that the only time clamouring can happen is, is when a uh, during an international tournament, um, a player who hasn't been playing, um, the public <laughs> demand that he should now be playing. I'm thinking of oh, Sheridan. Um, oh, right, there's a clamour for, yeah. Yeah, clamour for his selection. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's a rather niche one. <laughs> But can yeah, there not be a clamour for a new that's... signing? I don't think he can. I just, I just, no, it's not, it's not my rule book, rule book anyway. I think Tom? that's fair, actually. I think, I mean, clamour, you know, there's no reason why clamour couldn't apply to anything else. But generally speaking, that is the one and only circumstance in which you ever hear it. And it, it, it well, is some... the only thing that people collectively call for like, in that way. Well, some of these micro laws of footballing language are so hard and fast that people... You know, it's the same principle. They they use these words out of habit, and also they adhere to these rules out of habit. You just wouldn't hear the word clamour for anything else other than a player being chosen halfway through a World Cup or something like that, because people just don't think to use it anywhere else. It's actually quite a rigid kind of set of rules here. Um, similarly, it's amazing um, how how rigid it is. Actually, I mean, mm. you you think about how I mean, obviously, you know, we're we're enjoying um, this conversation, given that you know we've all mastered to to greater or lesser extents that the language of football but to outsiders <laughs> yes. it must seem completely impenetrable um, oh, totally. and you think about you think about the occasions when someone uses the wrong word or uses the right word in the wrong context or something like that and how completely mm. jarring it is yeah. yeah um and i imagine you know i often feel sorry for people who um who don't follow football but feel a social obligation to talk about it um <laughs> Because, you know, they inevitably wind up, uh, you know, innocently committing linguistic mistakes in terms of the sort of language they use. But who can blame them? They're probably the people who are most likely to say these words out loud when they really shouldn't be. Yes, well, exactly. Yeah. I remember hearing I was having a conversation with someone on Twitter and he had a he had a what was it, a Greek flatmate or something who'd learn English from basically <laughs> tabloid fo- football headlines. Oh, wonderful. So he was constantly talking about people getting snubbed and you know, <laughs> spats oh, and, and wow. all the rest of it. Tom, give me the two examples of a collector's item. Uh, well, one would be uh, a goal scored by uh, an, a rare goal scorer. Um, okay, that's so, three you know, examples a, now then. <laughs> a a, a centre-back getting his, you know, his, his once every five years goal. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, that's the I'll one that comes that. to mind. I also think of like Zidane or someone like that giving the ball away or misplacing a pass. Oh, totally. That's yeah. I feel like someone's sort of Xavier Iniesta sort of giving yeah, the ball away. Yeah, which is also in the like he's only human item. category. Of all people, <laughs> uh, yeah. And similarly, it's just like um, like a mercurial player with a poor first touch, like Messi, sort of not being able to trap it first time, and says he is human after all. Yeah. I'm also interested in the in the real currency of football, which is credit. Um. The, the levels of credit that you can issue to someone. I think all credit, all credit is issued to say like a plucky team, all credit to them. Mm. Um, you've got to give the keeper credit for a save. Credit to the backroom staff as well, that, you know, yeah. they played their part too. 
also if if a player is kind of sold um a good servant for a club is sold because he is basically not good enough uh, the, the the kind of manager of, of the club he's leaving was well, he's been a real credit to this football club which basically <laughs> yeah he's a really nice guy but he's just not good enough uh, and that, that to me is the as a summary of of credit in football also credit credit to the fans for singing the whole way through uh often used in defeat but when you know when the fans haven't allowed the circumstances of the match to, to stop <laughs> singing. You get that. It seems to be something that's often given, can be given in a slightly, not not begrudging way, but there's often like a negative connotation to it as well. It's it's I often so. credit earned in spite of something. Yeah. I, Mourinho, once, Mourinho once gave uh, Man City lots of credit um, for winning the title and then listed all the reasons that um, made it so much harder for everybody, anybody else to win the title. And, that, and I just thought, like I've never him. heard anyone give any anybody lots of credit before and it just felt really sarcastic so i think that might be the perfect example of sarcastic credit being being issued next up and this is this is a word that i can't be said out loud it can't be used but yet still exists in football language and that's custodian which i'm I'm trying to work out where it sits in the hierarchy for second mentions of a goalkeeper i'm thinking it sits pretty low i, I would try and if oh, i was writing be... about goalkeepers I would try to find any alternative than custodian, but it still it still sits there thinking, please use me. I'm still allowed. Um, You'd have to be a long way down there. I mean, well, let's let's establish let's establish what the kind of succession of um, of words for a goalkeeper. So you've got a goalkeeper. What would you then use second up? Well, I think I mean realistically, something like goalie I think is perfectly legit. Keeper I think is fair enough. Goalie to me sounds like the sort of thing you'd find in a Steve Bruce novel. <laughs> It's, it, I know what you mean. I, basically, it, most people, football. you'll stop using goalie once you get to the age of about 15 or 16. I think it's a, sign of, it's a sign of sort of football fandom maturity, making mm. that leap from goalie to keeper. Because there's something slightly non-serious about a goalie, whereas a keeper, mm. you know, keeper is, is that's, you know, that's what they call themselves sort of thing. Yeah, when I think of a goalie, I think of a child, not a grown-up goalkeeper. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. I, w- I, would, I would say, num- I would use number one, but obviously not in a shirt number context mm. necessarily. It might be, a, you know, they could wear any number, but I would consider using the phrase number one to be an acceptable um, signifier of a goalkeeper. Would you even if they didn't wear number one? Yeah, I think so, but if, only if you wrote it out you've in, got to be careful. in words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the implication being that they're the first choice goalkeeper rather than the actual number one. Then I would perhaps think about using custodian, but then we're in sort of absurd territory. You wouldn't then go maybe... stopper before custodian. But stopper's a defender, Charlie. Completely agree. Stopper is like a sturdy centre-half. There's this misconception that stoppers are goalkeepers. They are absolutely not stoppers. Agreed. Agreed. I'd, um, go, I'd go shot stopper before yeah. custodian. It's a bit try-hard. But shot stopper um, is quite specific to a type of keeper, rather in my mind, rather than being like a catch-all for a keeper. I think it's also True. a backhanded compliment stopper. Uh, sh- uh, shot stopper, Shot yeah. stopper. Yeah. I think it's because consi- that's like, that's the only thing he can do. And you should be doing that, like, yeah. as a keeper. Oh, yeah, totally. So yeah. can we all agree that glovesmen and sticksmen no. are banned? I've seen both. Sticksman. I would, I would sooner smash my laptop over my own head than use either glovesman or sticksman. I've seen netminder, um, oh, which is yeah, sort of, okay. which I, I don't know, slight, slight, uh, slight ice hockey vibes. Uh, goaltender being another ice hockey one, but I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd go for them over glovesman and sticksman. Um, goaltender is if he's sort of fixing the net and polishing the posts and <laughs> yeah. just like really so sort of tending to like it he's round the back nice. of the goal while play's going on just sort Bloody of loves his keeping goal. everything in check but of course this is um, 
Custodian is is kind of the lead example of of what is known as a phenomenon known as elegant variation. This is this kind of this fear, as as Charlie put it, of, of using the same word twice, which in in most cases is absolutely fine. If you want to use a player's name over and over again, that's okay. There's no point in going round about round the houses trying to find a different way of describing them but yet it's still a persistent practice um, or you can use the words like he which are often overlooked you know which yeah, are totally fine to use but articles but can pe- look so, so awkward when people are clearly trying to dance around using the sort of same term twice even if it is quite an innocuous kind of passive term there's a really really good book for journalists called on writing well by william zinser and he he, he addresses uh, elegant variation. It's a very funny book. It's got a really nice tone. But th- this is a genuine excerpt that he uses from a college newspaper. Uh, it's a tennis sort of report. And it goes like this. Bob Hornsby extended his scheme yesterday by toppling Dartsmouth's Jerry Smithers 6-4-6-2 to lead the netmen to victory over a surprisingly <laughs> strong foe. The gangling junior put his big serve to good use in keeping the green captain off balance. The Memphis native was in top form as he racked up the first four games, breaking the Indian service twice. The Exeter graduate faltered and the Hanover mainstay rallied to cop three games. But the racket ace was not to be denied, and the Yankees' attempt to knock the first stanza at 4-4 failed when he was passed by a cross-court volley on the sixth deuce point. The redhead was simply too determined, and it continues. But I mean, that is the sort of... the hair colour in the end. Yes. I mean, it, it, absolutely extraordinary, but not, but you know, depressingly, not that far off. Probably things we've all written at some point. Big fan of racket ace in the news. Yeah, racket ace is brilliant, brilliant isn't essentially it? Essentially, tennis player. No. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a colleague of ours who will remain anonymous um, says, I remember doing a Fulham versus Man United a few years ago, looking at a colleague's laptop, and he had referred to Pogba as the Gallic playmaker. Yeah, Gallic is a funny one, isn't it? Because, I mean, it, it should be an acceptable way to refer to a French person. And yet it, 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 it isn't. It, it, does just, <laughs> it does just jar. Um, yes. And also, I think, I don't know, maybe because it looks a little bit like garlic. Does it does it make <laughs> yeah. you worry that you're being inadvertently xenophobic by using it? But yeah, one that one that you used to get quite a lot, I think, when, when Eric Cantona was around, when yeah. French oh, players in England did. were novelties. But yeah, yeah. not something you, you see so much it, these days. It just screams, I just don't want to say French. That's that's all it, that's mm. all it does. One I re- example of elegant variation I really like in sort of match reports, because, of course, football reporting... I don't know if it's particularly unique, but it requires the kind of repetition of certain names and 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 teams over and over again in the same piece, which perhaps mm. doesn't happen too many times in other kind of walks of journalism. Well, I think but, particularly when it comes to match reports, I mean, yeah. one reason you'd use elegant variation is because you don't, you want to repeat using the name of a player or a club that you've used a few times in your article mm. already. But when you're describing... Um, on-pitch action, sometimes you need to refer to the same person Mm. three or four times in the same sentence. Um, And their name and he and, you know, the Manchester United midfielder will get you so far, but then you end (laughs) up, you know, creating problems for yourself if you go any further. But there is the thing, and and that excerpt I just read out, you you get so confused to who's being talked about. And Mm. I I remember having that, that there's a a writer I think of who I'd read his stuff and I'd just be like, "I, I don't, if, unless you know it really well enough, you don't necessarily know who the Kansas redhead is out of the two of them. So you're, <laughs> you're just left kind of more confused than when you started. I just, it's just, I don't know how far you have to dig to decide that hair colour must be the defining characteristic. <laughs> you must be a few sentences deep. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. 
To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each hand-picked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and -and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with your other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. The hierarchy of mention of describing um, as simply a team. So I think team comes first. Then you can use the word side, which I think is a very peculiarly English thing, like to talk about, you know, um, the London side. And then you've got manager X's men. So I don't know. David Moyes' men held on for a draw. And then after that, you're on to kind of, I don't know, the East Midlands outfit. I, I like outfit. Say, yeah, the North Londoners um, or whatever. Yeah, and I, th- I feel like um, the homogenisation of world football has, has brought about the death of the crack East European outfit, which a lot of people who, who tweeted about this episode before we started saying they're really disappointed that you don't get East Europe- crack East European outfits anymore because I just think that mystique from teams from other countries has, has gone. So I think just think the word outfit is, as, as marvellous as it is, is basically going out of existence, which I think is a shame. Well, I think I think that goes hand in hand with um, the fact that it's no longer acceptable to be ignorant about teams that you don't know much oh, totally. about, even when mm. you might know nothing about them. I think in the age of Twitter, there's this expectation that everyone should know everything about every team, every player. Yeah. So as a writer, you don't want to admit to not having ever watched a, you know, I don't know, Sheriff Tiraspol match. Uh, because someone will pop up on your Twitter feeds telling you that they watch them religiously uh, and that you're talking absolute <laughs> rubbish. And I think that's one reason why Outfit um, has died a bit of a death, because it does have those connotations uh, of the writer doesn't know who this team is. Uh, you know, please don't ask him to write about them anymore. Um, Do you remember back in the day as well, part-timers was a real thing? And I don't know, again, I don't know if that now is deemed too patronising or just inaccurate, but you'd be. I remember... Uh, who was it? I think Blackburn or someone lost to a Scandinavian part-timer. Oh, tr- oh God, Trelleborg. Yeah, someone like that. Yeah, it was and that was the first time I'd ever heard that, and I was really confused. I was like, "What? What do they do the rest?" Of the time? I mean, <laughs> I'd have been pretty young. I was like, "What? What? Yeah, what? What do they do the rest of the time?" Yeah, you intrigued. should stop there. We should have a we should have a full breakdown of what all those players do for as a day job. That's yeah, important. exactly. You can't just you can't just you can't just casually drop in part time as we should know. Um, I feel like a great signifier of whether someone really knows what they're talking about when, especially when they're referring to say Premier League teams is whether they use the nickname of that Premier League team or not. And yes. I feel like there is there should be a Premier League table of the acceptability of saying some of the team's nicknames out loud. In my opinion, I feel like, I mean, Wolves and Spurs are way ahead in this league table um, because they are essentially the name of the totally club acceptable. and it's the popular mm. name. So Wolves yeah. and Spurs are way ahead. They are, they're battling for this title and they're going to have to go to the Seagulls and get something. Um <laughs> Making up the Champions League places, I've got Saints and Blades. 
Any any Saints, arguments? There? Saints definitely, I think, is yeah. Saints is almost legit. I would say. Tricky thing with Saints is knowing whether or not you need a the in front of mm. Saints because yeah, I know Southampton fans just say Saints. who will yeah. just say Saints, um, mm. but that which implies a sense of ownership of the club, you know, a, a kind of kinship, which as a fan you would naturally feel. Whereas as mm. a journalist, you can't you can't be quite so familiar. Um, but yeah, in the sense that uh, it, it's used quite widely, I'm quite happy with Saints being up there. And I, I, okay. I think you can almost imagine using Saints out loud, whereas I can't imagine saying, oh, did you did you catch the Blades game yesterday? <laughs> I, think that, I think that would sound like ridiculously weird. Would you ever would you but would you ever say to someone, did you catch the did you catch the game last night? Come on. Well, I, yeah, I probably would say, okay, but I would say like, oh, yeah, I think I, I, I might say I think Spurs have been really good this season. I don't. Think yeah, I think the Blades, the Blades have really impressed me under their yeah, okay, hot shot so- manager. Yeah, you don't have to go for too far down this table for it all to become just absolutely forbidden to say these things out loud. I think hovering just in the kind of European places are foxes, hammers, gunners, which I think are borderline acceptable. Again, though, either gunners... Either in written or verbal form. This is probably being very snobby, but I associate that with your sort of Piers Morgan calibre of plastic Arsenal <laughs> fan. I, I, yeah. I just can't... You know, I don't know many of my mates who actually spot Arsenal would be like, oh, I'm... God, the Gunners are just so frustrating at the moment. I just I well, it makes you it. sound a bit like that that guy in the fast show sketch, exactly um, <laughs> who started supporting Arsenal when Wenger turned up and would would come to the match with a hamper of goodies. <laughs> yeah. Occupying mid table in this in this hierarchy of acceptable nicknames, you've got your Canaries, your Magpies, your Blues, your Seagulls, Clarets, and Cherries. They're all they're all kind of they're nice enough nicknames, but. You know, as in most of these cases, there's, there's never going to be a real reason to say these out loud. Can I just flag quickly on the subject of clarets that the yeah. official Burnley Twitter hashtag is hashtag Twitter clarets, um, which must be one of the most cumbersome club hashtags going. Yeah. Um, and Could, never do they just not get the rights to Burnley FC or something? I guess. I guess perhaps not. Someone, someone sitting there with four <laughs> followers still has it, and they just, or want just clarets. Give it up. I mean, all the they're all on Twitter. Surely that yeah. that bit is sort of superfluous. Um, the important thing here is what is the relegation zone in this Premier League table of acceptable club nicknames? And I give it to you that it's villains, first of all, red devils <laughs> and citizens. All three of those are the pits. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, funny enough, in, in French football writing, all of these nicknames are extremely popular and used without any second thought. So you will or often the English get... Clubs. For English clubs, so you will often oh, get wow, okay. city referred to as les citizens, les red mm. devils, les toffees. Well, it just sounds better, doesn't it? I think there's something about it being a foreign language as well. There's something about all the kind of, you know, the Italian club nicknames, yeah, yeah. the Rossi and all the rest of it. There's something quite romantic about that and, and using it using those terms sort of confers a sense that you know what you're talking about. And I guess it's probably the same when it comes to um, uh, fans from, from other countries and journalists from other countries talking about English clubs and their nicknames. Yeah, maybe maybe critical distance is important here. So we, we can use Serie A nicknames and, and, and feel like we're, we're being quite cool as we do it. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't use sort of Spanish club nicknames because they, they, they sort of go back the other way where they feel a bit just a bit too... Awkward, they try like, hard. Know, mm. Lost Che or something like that. Yeah, it just yeah, feels the a bit blau like... Grana. <laughs> yeah. We know what you're talking about, mate. Come on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. There's what about international teams like La Roja and things like that? No, just... I mean, I would. The only, the only times I would consider it acceptable to use a national team's nickname is when you're at the African Nations Cup and where, where they just have stunningly good nicknames that they're impossible to ignore. They're all basic sort of exotic birds, and then mm. they all have a really nice adjective applied to them. So I don't know, the... Um, yeah. The well, there's the indomitable lions. Jaguars or something like that, yeah. 
and Jack like Lazar impenetrable Jaguars. <laughs> yes, something like that. I don't know. I just, that's the that's the lottery that you can play. You always pick <laughs> an adjective and pick an animal, and then you've basically got yourself a nickname for an African Nations Cup qualifier. I'm picturing more of a steely generator. South South American side uh, for the impenetrable Jaguars. Yeah, If Venezuela ever get their ever get their act together, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Listener contributions here. Uh, Phil Harris says um, at Norwich in the late nineties, Craig Bellamy and Keith O'Neill were once referred to in, in a match report as the Jet Healed Strike Pals. <laughs> yeah, you fine. still get jet healed. That's fine until pals, <laughs> which yeah. just Strike suggests that they're sort of like trotting around the pitch holding hands or something. Um, <laughs> I wonder if you. I've certainly used jet healed quite a lot in my. In my I time. wonder if the writer had already used duo or pair or something earlier on in the piece and felt he couldn't go back to it because pals uh, pals does jar a little bit. Maybe they were mates. Who knows? Um, yeah, I feel like we we've been scathing enough about our. our uh, football writing colleagues now, so we should probably move on. Can I? Uh, with the caveat throw, that can we I, can all I do pitch, it. Yeah, can, can I on, pitch one on. last example in? So, in my previous, can. my previous job at AFP, we employed a various um, freelancers to to write match reports for us, um, and there was one particular example of elegant variation that always stayed with me. And it was a guy who was writing about a sequence of play in a game between Everton and West Brom when Everton kept hitting the same post. It happened like two or three times in the space of a few minutes. And he obviously Uh felt that he'd used the word post too often. Um, So he ended up substituting post for the same piece of right-hand West Brom woodwork, uh, which I thought was a spectacular bit of uh, elegant variation overreaching. uh, I was going to say. stayed with me to this day. You upright. Yeah, because you've already got got upright and woodwork to work with. So that's... uh, You should never, you should never, if you find yourself in that sort of predicament, it means that you've not, you've not exhausted all your, all your options, basically. Well, it's like at the at the Guardian, they refer to this apparently as uh, a banana as a CYO because it was once used by reporters a curved yellow object <laughs> as the second mention, which I just think is so brilliant, and that yeah, sort of became be- the benchmark for y- your second mentions. Yeah, it's become. I a once saw. I once saw Jesus Christ referred to in the second mention as the world famous religious figure, uh, <laughs> which which just didn't really do him justice at all. But anyway, we move on to the letter D. Um, someone pointed out that uh, you just don't see daisy cutters anymore. What happened to daisy cutters? It's just because pictures are just too nice now. Love a good daisy cutter. Yeah, I think. That- I wonder whether part of it is to do with the sort of um, the kind of professionalisation of football vocab. There's something quite dainty and old school about a daisy cutter. There's something yeah, of the school playground. Right. Whereas now we talk like about goalie. football in terms of like goalie exactly. Whereas now we talk about football in terms of low blocks and you know, a mm. high press and a half space. And I've got nothing against that sort of technical vocab. But it, I think football writing has become a little bit more technical. Um, and I think one of the consequences of that is that terms like daisy cutter, which you probably would have used more frequently, have kind of faded out of the game a little bit. It's just too whimsical, is it, in, in mm. this kind of technological age? I think you might be right. Moving on to E, when was the last time you heard the word echelon? <laughs> Upper echelons. Yeah. Yeah, you you you'll hear more upper echelons than lower echelons. That's for sure. Is it a softer? Is it a softer sort of um, ch? I I always mm. say echelon. It should be echelon. Upper echelons. Be. Yeah, I've been saying it wrong all my life. <laughs> Another word which seems to have, have popped back up after years of of being dormant is the word expunged, which I really like, even though it obviously has you know fairly tragic administrative connotations. But the word expunged, which is obviously to to essentially void a season. Yeah, very like in vogue right now. A lot right of expunging now. going on. Normally, you only see that in Sunday League when a team folds, their their results yeah. will be expunged. But to get it Everyone in proper football, 
Yeah, every, yeah. to get them uh, in proper football is alarming. If I could buy shares in a word, it would I would be buying them in the word expunged because there's going to be so much expunging going on over the next few weeks. Imagine it feels a suitably dramatic-looking word ago. as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just really nice to say. I, I, I happily fill up the rest of this episode by just saying expunged over and over again while you two stay quiet. Um, <laughs> on to F, however. Um, why do we say foot race when we just mean um, a race on a mm. pitch? I mean, there's no reason whatsoever. It's another football thing. If you said race, everyone would understand race. <laughs> but yeah. because you say foot race, uh, I don't know. It's, a, a, it's one of those mysterious football things it's uh, that, an example that, of a that word makes that, no sense. That, everyone subconsciously feels that they have to say, and when I say they, I mean commentators, they just feel like they have to say foot races. It's in their head, they, they must use it. It's not a conscious decision. It's just that's the word that's used when two players are running towards a ball as it sort of rolls out of play. Um, mm. It's a mystery. It's, 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 as if, mystery. it's as if you're specifying that they're racing on foot in case anyone mistakenly uh, you know, <laughs> has imagined they've each hopped onto a motorbike or, yeah, you know, exactly. or, or something else. And that's a bookable offence. So, yeah. Um Legs come in forests, so you get forests of legs, um, but bodies come in seas, so you get sea of bodies. I think collective nouns for football are very, very important to get right. So if, you, if you're shooting into the area and you've got a lot of sort of um, lower limbs to get the ball through, that's forest of legs. Are we all agree? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen thicket um, very rarely um, in, in a, sim, a similar uh, situation. Thicket of legs? Actually, now have I? Now that I say it out loud, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds even more ridiculous than it did in my head. I've definitely heard thicket very used mid-summer in. It's very midsummer murders. I've definitely seen thicket used in in the context of of uh, you know a, a mass of limbs uh, barring a uh, an attacker's path to goal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, forest of legs, sea of bodies, absolutely. Why do we use the word fresh when when new would suffice? Uh, you get fresh allegations. You get a fresh row, which is just a sort of a row that leads on from the original row. Fresh legs, of course, which were all very fresh what, legs. Very, yeah, yeah, that's that's perfectly. That fine. feels legit. And then you have fresh speculation. Just this word "fresh." The, the the more you look at it, the more weird it becomes in, in a football context. But I love fresh allegations. You, um, you when you really think a story starting to peter out, that when, <laughs> when some fresh allegations turn up, it's really wonderful um, for for us journo's. Well, I think actually the, the the word "fresh" it has a certain onomatopoeic quality, and I think for mm. a reader. It it will I don't know I th- I feel like you will react to <laughs> fresh in a different way to the way that you react to new for example okay like fresh fresh is it. something sort of positive it makes you think mm. of you know greenery spring okay. toothpaste yeah. and I think when a reader <laughs> reads the word fresh these are all the things that kind of you know ping into their mind without them necessarily realizing uh, this is why you're and perhaps here. draw is... them in in a way that fresh the word new wouldn't things. there you go yeah, fresh great you go. fresh is perfectly week. good theory perfectly fresh is week theory. yeah okay um on to g um in football is football the only um situation where you'd use gel as a verb i mean you could you could use gel as a, as a noun in pretty much any context but i feel like when you need two strikers to suddenly start playing playing to with gel. each other that's when you need them to gel or maybe they a whole team gel. can gel yeah, I think other sports you get summer. it as well. Yeah. I think other sports you might, but I don't. Outside of sport, I can't really imagine okay, saying that they just, they just haven't gelled. Um, Tom, ten thousand hits on Google for the phrase "guilt edged," but spelt G U I L T. Is this a modern scandal? Absolutely, I've no no um, 
explanation for that whatsoever. I mean, I suppose. I, I mean, a lot I, of people think that that missing a chance comes with sort of an, an element some, of guilt. Yeah, I mean, I think guilty. that that is that is the only explanation for it. You only ever hear guilt edged when someone's describing a chance that someone's missed. Completely. Um, so, so perhaps that's that's where this comes from. This idea that you know a guilt edged chance is is one that invariably flies over the crossbar or mm. or bounces meekly into the goalkeeper's arms and so that the you know that the person responsible for it will feel a sense of culpability uh, and then mm. you end up with guilt edged maybe in 50 years time it will be spelt with a u and will be yeah. idiots because we didn't anticipate this very obvious evolution in uh, football terminology presumably with with a lot of these uh, terms that are quite quirky would would they have just come from a certain commentator at a moment in time using it when you know everyone watched the same you know when there was only broadcast on bbc or itv or whatever and then just taking it up because it it, it just feels like where do they start from yeah i agree i don't i don't think words and phrases could catch on quite as easily now because you've got blanket coverage you've got you know 10 different ways of watching the same exactly game yeah that's just a very good point maybe back in the sort of 40s 50s and even the 60s there would have been only one commentator to, that mm. you could really consume and if they if they coined a phrase particularly at a dramatic point of a game and maybe let's say for example that kenneth wilson wilson home was the first to say guilt edge chance and maybe that's that's where these things come from because mm. guilt edge is, again we wouldn't hear that anywhere else in in the in the english language for any other context it just feels so strange that has kind of kept hold of it and said, right, this is what we're going to use for a, for a sort of medium level scorable chance that he really ought to have put away. Uh, but, you know, this is what we're here for. This is, this is why we're trying to figure this sort of stuff out. Harry's sponsors Football Clichés, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit... Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. As a listener of Football Clichés, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash football cliches right now. That's harrys.com forward slash football cliches. Okay, let's move on to H. One of my favourite H's is, is, is the hangover, specifically the European hangover, Tom. Uh, in what circumstances does a European hangover take place? This will invariably be when a team have had a big European result in midweek and then uh, the following weekend they uh, crash to defeat uh, in, a, in a game they should have won or perhaps they drop points unexpectedly and the explanation yeah. is that they um, uh, enjoyed themselves too much after their, their European exploits and... Um, yeah. And oh, do you think it's literally a hangover? Do you think it's like not, the, not, the after not effects literally. of alcohol? No, no. I mean, that's the sense, isn't it? That you've had like a big high that, that everyone's really enjoyed um, mm. and then there's there's been a, a crash afterwards and you've ended up you know, being found out in some way. Also, in this scenario, Charlie, um, you, you, this is one of the few scenarios where you'll hear the word exploits because they're midweek exploits. And you can have goal-scoring exploits, but I think they're the only type of exploits you can have in football. These can also be a case of after the Lord Mayor's show, where you've, <laughs> oh, had, some, where, where you've had, you know, a big. I really hate that. And and I and I was thinking with that, with that European hangover in two thousand six, Arsenal won at the Bernabeu in the midweek and then lost at Blackburn on the weekend, and it just felt like oh, from Bernabeu to Blackburn classic. as your archetypal hangover. 
I think that is the dictionary definition definition of a European hangover. Tom, who are the only people in football that can be harangued? Uh, managers. No. I would say no. Referees. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Referees yeah, and linesmen are the only harangable people. <laughs> Uh, Haranguing is sort of a mid-level offence. It's it's not. I mean, it's not quite sort of Roy Keane in the face of Andy Durso in two thousand. It's it's haranguing is you have you probably have to need at least three people surrounding the referee for it to become haranguing. Harangue must be one of those words that was used by a commentator and has just. I mean, has lived on because it's such a strange word. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's a great um, word. Uh, Charlie, uh, who are Hardy Souls? Fan, I would think like Newcastle fans who've trekked across the country to, to <laughs> watch their team lose Newcastle at Southampton. Yeah. Shirtless hardy Newcastle soul. fans. There is a scientific formula for being a hardy soul. It's the distance you had to travel to get to the game, the temperature, the ambient temperature when you get there, and the number of other fans that have joined you on the trip. And uh, once you put all those things together, that is the hardiness of your soul. <laughs> uh, you can also factor in if you lost the first leg heavily and you still mm. went to the second leg, That is the, that is is you're automatically a hardy soul if you did that. Yeah, you'd only mention Hardy Souls like towards the end of a match report when a team had taken an absolute pasting. You cast your eye over to the you know the, the away section. You see them sort of sitting there in the rain. Actually, this is a very good point. You, you can't be a Hardy Soul if your team have won. No, absolutely. There's nothing Hardy about that. Get over yourself. Other H's, histrionics, which again, I just I, I don't even know what the, the actual dictionary definition of histrionics would be. Nor what scenario in other forms of walks of life I would use this word but histrionics in football seems to be an open and shut case right what's histrionics Tom histrionics will be uh basically any any instance of a player throwing a strop I would say yeah um so reacting badly to a decision that's gone against them uh reacting badly but it isn't to theatrics. substituted it's not theatrics no it's it's to do with the personal reaction of a player right. so it's not rolling around on the floor it's okay. more sort of flinging your hands to the heavens looking exasperated oh. that sort of thing this is an important distinction. Um, Charlie, have you ever hit a Hollywood ball? I don't think I'm really good enough to hit a Hollywood ball. <laughs> um, I, I think more that's your sort of Stevie G in the early part of his career and then Rafa Benitez was there to kind of cut out the Hollywood balls. I'd, I'd love to try a few more. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think I've quite got the balls to, to do that even. I feel it's definitely kind of an English golden generation thing, the Hollywood ball is, but it's mm. all players getting slightly above the station, but also not being able to hit a very tidy five-yard pass instead. It's all about the 50-yard crossfield passes. Here's a lovely word, and it's a very simple word, um, but yeah, I feel it goes under the radar quite a lot, which is home. Mm. If a ball is kind of... If someone scores a goal and, and the ball is sort of, you mm. know, headed home... What a, what a lovely word, but yeah, it also makes no sense because why should the back of the net be the where the ball belongs? Where, where should that home. be its natural habitat? But I think it's such a nice word, headed home. Such a comforting thing. You also hear in Power League, goalies will say like, come home or, um, yeah, yeah, just play at home. Oh, right, yeah. Home if you need. Yeah, home if home you need. Home if you need. Okay, That's okay. the sort of thing. You should, I should have that stenciled on my living room wall. Home <laughs> if you need. <laughs> just come home. Yeah, 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 it's fine. Just come home. <laughs> Or at least it on the side of a power league sent home if you need. What a wonderful, um, if slightly illiterate sentence that is. Um, the only entry I've got here under I is ill-tempered and ill-fated. Um, mm. Mm, not good things. Neither of those are good things. I don't think. The you can have an ill-fated spell. Yeah, or the ill-fated spell in charge. United's famous ill-fated tour of China in 97 or whatever it is. I feel like, yeah. uh, you know, tours and trips away might fall into that 
uh, category. Under J, I've got just hours stroke days before stroke after. Tabloid headlines get really hysterical about players doing things in close vicinity to football games. I'm going to read out a headline here, which is I just think is the absolute peak of the genre. Man United star Harry Maguire spotted with name tag on washbag at Norwich days after forgetting coin toss rule. <laughs> Tremendous. Um, it, it just feels like there's supposed to, there's supposedly some sort of threshold after after a after a game that you're not allowed to do something. Um, so players being spotted in nightclubs just hours after game, mm. when really that's the only time you could be spotted in a nightclub after a game because that's just how time works. So being in there, say like midnight, which is literally just hours after the game. A cardinal sin here is often, um, you know, player goes to shops just days after England are knocked out of World Cup. Like yeah. there should, I think, after a team goes out of a major tournament, there's an expectation that they shouldn't be seen for weeks, months. You know, even if it's to do the most innocuous activity. Yeah, I thought like Euro 2016 was the vanguard of this because yes. it's like sort of Deli Alley and Harry Kane daring to go on holiday in the small window of time between the tournament and then having to report back to training, which led them open to accusations of being on holiday just days after the <laughs> year of 2016. I was like, that's the only time they could have gone on holiday. I don't know what the cutoff point is for being allowed to go off and do things after a certain thing has happened. It, it really seems very unclear to me, Tom. It, you know, this sort of clickbait age where you get these... Uh, stories or you know stories in inverted commas that are basically a sequence of photographs of a footballer doing something very innocuous yeah. you know, going to the supermarket um, you know going out for dinner with his girlfriend or whatever um, but because there is a need to construct some kind of architecture around this very anodyne set of photos you end up with these complete puff piece articles mm. uh, and one way of um, infusing them with a sense of relevance is to use the just hours slash days before slash after um, format because it, it, it ties... It legitimises it a bit as yeah, well. Yeah, it, it ties this very innocuous and completely normal thing to something much more dramatic and, and newsworthy um, and, you know, is some way of justifying the existence of a newspaper story, for example, about a player stocking up on crisps. Oh, that's it. I think that's, I remember that very specific example. I think it was um, Alexis Sanchez uh, went to a supermarket. It was like literally like an Asda or something. And, and they got pictures of him just dropping a multi-pack of crisps on the floor. And, it, and the story was just like just days after, you know, some poor performance in a game for whoever. He dropped some crisps on the floor. And it's just like at that, at that point, I just thought, you poor bastard. You can't do anything without it being linked to a recent event in your footballing life. Under K, I've got Keystone Cops. Uh, do you feel like I feel like no one talks about Keystone Cops defending anymore? That's I think that's me showing my age because I just don't hear about it anymore. Yes, it's true. I mean, you yeah, you you will very occasionally hear it, and I I wrote about Keystone Cops in in my book, and and I sort of okay. looked into who the Keystone Cops were because I had no yeah. idea, and and there they were a bunch of sort of calamity prone police officers from silent. <laughs> Uh, films that came out in the early years of the 20th century. So it's mm. extraordinary that we were still talking about Keystone Cops for as long as we were, um, given that even by the 50s and 60s, they would have been dated. So they've had, they've had a decent innings. Other than Keystone Cops, um, some listeners have suggested words that seem to have sort of faded from footballing use. Um, Turlo ADK says, schemers seem to have disappeared from the game entirely. What happened to the midfield schema? Yeah, I'm trying to think it would be a modern schemer. And I don't know, is, is that the kind of... <sighs> The death of the four four two is is it, is it to do with that? I don't I'm know, trying to think of schema to me schemers. is what a deep lying playmaker. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, mean, I, but I think Dan of them as being would just about qualify. Yeah, maybe. I, 
give them more as like part of a midfield two, and you don't really get that very much. Anymore. Was Scolzi a schemer? Would you say Scolzi was a schemer? Uh, I don't know. Goes together quite well. I don't know if I'd put Scholes as a schemer. Tom, do you think schemers are more of a European continental thing? Um, as in, in our eyes, that is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think one thing is that, you know, technical midfield players, um, and, and I think schemer in particular evokes a sense of a, a, quite a cerebral player. Mm. Um, I mean, would and... Jabby Alonso or Kroos or Modric, would they be schemers? Just yeah, I think quite yeah, scheming. so someone like that. I think someone quite short as well. Um, I think that I think there's a sense of a, a player who physically is quite unprepossessing, but who sort of you know sees sees the game well. And I think because the average midfielder is quite slight um, and, and technically quite accomplished, you there's no longer a need to single out players like that. The schemers used to be the exception right. to the rule, particularly in this country. You had your blood and thunder box-to-box midfielders charging up and down. You yeah. might get the occasional schemer sort of tiptoeing around and, and, and painting pretty patterns with his passes. Whereas now, you you know, it, things have, have almost gone in, in the opposite sense. You get much more schemers than you do um, classic box-to-box players. So maybe, again, it's, a, it's a, an indication of the way in which the game has evolved. That's interesting. Harry Winks maybe is a modern day schemer. Oh, I, I would have him down as a schemer. I agree yeah. with that. Danny Baker, the actual Danny Baker says dribble. Amazing. No one dribbles it anymore. What happened to dribbling? I, I wasn't really aware it had died a death, has it? I guess you don't really hear it. It's quite virtuoso, isn't it? And I think in the days yeah. now of, you know, Man City have kind of perfected that very surgical way of attacking, you know, mm. playing in triangles and that sort of thing. You, you probably, there isn't room you know, dribbling is associated with more of a maverick and you give the ball yeah. away a lot. And these are the kind of yeah. things that are looked down upon in our stat-dominated world. Yeah, so I, I can see where... Socks Danny rolled Baker's down 70s from. winger, maybe. Yeah. And yeah, either dribbling maybe. died or we've just become desensitised to dribbling. Which one is it, Tom? Um, I don't think dribbling's died. I think, you know, I mean, we live in the age of the greatest ever dribbler, arguably, in Lionel Messi. Mm. And I think, mm. I think you know, most managers, certainly at the, at, the, at the very top level, will try and find room in their team for dribblers. Guardiola's a big fan of dribblers, talks about how vital it is to have players who can, um, who can, who can beat opponents uh, when it comes to breaking down well-drilled defences. I think, I think there's an interesting comparison to be made between our sort of native football language and, and what you find in, on the continent. And there you, yeah. you get much more talk of dribbling. And often the word dribble is used because, again, it, it's a word that came from, uh, from Britain as the, as the birthplace of football and something that was just um, exported quite widely around the world. And so, you, I mean, like, in, you know, in, in France, for example, you're... you're you'll have references to a dribble. so And, and it's used oh, as a right. verb as well. So-and-so okay. dribbled so-and-so and put the cross into the box. So it, it does it does live on. But mm. again, I think it, it perhaps it comes down to this desire to be a bit more precise with the, the, the terminology you're using mm-hmm. in this in this slightly more technical-minded day and age. You know, a dribble is... is it doesn't really give you that much detail in terms of what yeah. a player's done. I think there's almost an expectation now that you'll describe the kind of skills that, that we used um, rather than just saying, you know, it was a dribble. Um, yeah. But I yeah, you're as right. Well, as, as a word, it's not one that you come across very often in football writing. I think as well, like now attacking midfielders are expected to do so much more than just dribbles. So you wouldn't yeah. necessarily single someone out. So City, because I think, you know, 
I think they do a lot of the time they do play in this kind of you know quick pass and move kind of way and you'd say someone like Silva maybe back in the day would be seen as a dribbler or Mares, but I think now those guys also are there to assist and to score goals and that kind of thing so it's, it, yeah, it's just, just one part. Yeah you just don't get the luxury part. players anymore. Yeah. That just do just, that one very very stylish exactly. thing and nothing else. Mm. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe Even Messi, dribbling has just got I mean, drowned Messi's, in every, all the other stuff. Messi's defined by his ludicrous goal record rather than mm. the fact that he dribbles yeah. past players. I think, I think it's right. more targeted these days, dribbling. I think if you get a player these days who picks up the ball on the halfway line and sets off on a dribble immediately or picks up the ball even deeper, he'll be seen as a bit of a liability. It's not the done thing anymore. If, you're, if you have the ability to dribble past players, the expectation is that you won't really use that until you get into the final third. Whereas if you, you're, you, know, whereas if you go back 50 years to the, the days of Stanley Matthews and Garincha, for example, the idea is that they would pick the ball up from their fullback and wherever they were on the pitch, they just set off on some long lolloping mm. dribble down the flank before putting the ball in. So, yeah, you know, another example of how uh, an aspect of the game has, has um, developed. Well, look at the way someone like Cristiano Ronaldo evolved from being a dribbler, probably in the early part of his career, to then just becoming this much more economical with the ball at his feet and like dead-eyed finisher. And you think of dribblers now, it's more like Ben Arthur or Buffal, who are, are kind of like what you're saying, Tom. They're those more sort of virtuoso uh, figures who feel like a bit of an anachronism in, in modern football. Well, this was a ex- more extended analysis than I was expecting. Mm. Um, I hope Danny Baker's impressed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, we're going to take the L now because I want to talk about uh, a very strange word, which I, I have down as kind of a hodlism, really, because it seems to me like he's keeping this one going. Um, the word is lackadaisical because it's not even a word. The, the, the word is supposed to be lackadaisical, but no one, and I mean nobody in football, says it the right way. And it, for some, somehow, somewhere, this extra S came in and forever, evermore, it's been known as lackadaisical. So it's a purely football word because it doesn't exist anywhere else. And it's because it's lax, it, isn't it? So you yeah. kind of, I think those have melded. I think the only explanation for this is that people who say it while they're saying it, as they come up to the word, um, they uh, yeah they, they allow it to be sort of hijacked by the word whoops a daisy. That that's mm. my own personal explanation for it. That it's it's um, some kind of weird bastard uh, conflagration of lackadaisical <laughs> and whoops a daisy. It's in my head when I when I see that word, I, I, I just get Glenn Hoddle's voice. And I've been a bit, they've been a bit lackadaisical for me. And I, I just, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of footballers kind of trying to approximate language that they're not really familiar with. And I think that's where these kind of mistakes come from. And then because yeah, quite I think I think Rio Ferdinand's figures. another Rio Ferdinand's another big lackadaisical mm. user, um, right? And again, but it, but, in, yeah, but, similar sort of context. But, but after a while, after it's used so many times, you know, to an impressionable audience, it just becomes a word. And it, it feels like, you know, well, well, there are no actual laws about this sort of thing. So when a word becomes said often enough, it just becomes the word. And it lacks a tentacle to me in a football context. It seems to be like the archetype of this phenomenon, really. Um, also, locker. What, tell me some things that you would find in a player's proverbial locker, Charlie. In your locker, I think of skills. Like he's got that. Yeah. You know, he's he's got a skill in his locker, or like a shot from distance. Like he's got that in his locker. Yeah. Like, to me, know, that he, it's he, shot from he distance. Can, like he can. He pull goes that about his out. business, but occasionally he will pull that out of his locker. I think like a full, um, a left-footed fullback, like a left back, might well have a decent strike from range in his locker. You almost yeah. expect a left back to have actually. But Tom, crucially, when it comes to players' lockers, you you can never refer to your own locker, can you? 
You would never talk no. about your own locker. I don't think I've ever no. heard a player saying, I've got that in my locker. The only player who, who the only kind of player who would be liable to, to say something like that would be someone who referred to themselves in the third person. Who's, so someone who's already, you know, used <laughs> to kind of looking at themselves from a slight distance and yeah. might imagine them going about their sort of day-to-day routine. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you wouldn't ever describe, you wouldn't ever talk about your own locker. Speaking of lockers, we've reached half-time in our forensic breakdown of the A to Z of the footballing language. Um, you'll join us next time for the rest. All our podcasts are completely free and ad-free versions are available to subscribers. You can sign up and get 90 days free by going to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod.